Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you meet me in Luke chapter 1? Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55, so we'll be in God's Word together this morning. As Glenn mentioned, uh, Evan, I'm one of the pastors here, thankful to be able to gather together uh, under God's Word, now, particularly in this Advent season. Um, I, I love uh, Advent and what it means for this world. Uh, as the prophet Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have, have seen a great light. In this season, we get an opportunity to slow down and reflect on this great light, especially as we feel the pervasive darkness. Uh, even though for, for many of us, uh, this season is actually very busy. It's very full with parties and exams and recitals and projects and end-of-year campaigns and, and on and on. Uh, the Lord still holds out for us this beautiful invitation for every heart to prepare him room. Our Advent series this year uh, is us walking through Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, where we look at the songs of Christmas. Uh, the Advent, the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, was quite musical. Uh, the Lord chose people to see this beautiful dawning light, and then they burst into worship as they anticipate the arrival of this treasure of heaven, this promised Savior. This morning, we will look at the song of Jesus' mother, Mary. This song is called the Magnificat after the first word of this passage in the Latin translation of Scripture. Mary is magnifying the Lord. As the news hits her that she will bear a son and call his name Jesus, she rejoices. And just for a moment, I want to invite us into that joy as we read her song together. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand as we read Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through verse 55. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you illuminate our hearts with your word. I thank you for the privilege it is to sit under the authority of your word. For we know that it is there that our lives are changed. And so, Lord, it is to that end that I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. 
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, William Tandy was 70 years old when he received his sight. A man born blind, he experienced a marvelous medical innovation that allowed him to see the world for the first time in his twilight years. Uh, He was interviewed during a segment in 60 Minutes where he was asked what it is that he sees now that is different than what he imagined it would be. Having lived for seven decades, I was intrigued to hear what his response might be. The thing he pointed out in response to the question was uh, the falling of autumn leaves. He explained to the interviewer that when he surmised what it meant for autumn leaves to fall, he imagined that uh, they fell straight down, much like a spoon off a table. Uh, But he said now he could see that uh, each leaf has its own pilgrim journey as it blows through the wind, dancing back and forth, making its way down to the ground. As he was reflecting on all this, he said... Uh, I'm in the same place I've always been, but now that I see, it's as though I'm in a different world. I often hear, to a lesser degree, uh, something like this when I ask friends what it was like the first time they put on eyeglasses. Uh, I remember one friend said, I didn't know that grass came out of the ground as individual blades. (laughs) I remember another friend said, I didn't know what bugs look like flying in the air. They tell these stories of thinking that they could see all along, but then they realize that there was more to the world that they could experience. But they had to change their viewpoint. Uh, The challenge of the gospel is a challenge of viewpoint. Uh, More specifically, Advent challenges us to reconsider how we view the world in which we live. It challenges our assumptions, our beliefs, our values. It also challenges our despair, our anguish, our bitterness. We are challenged in how we understand hope and peace and joy and love. Uh, the, The issue is not whether or not we see, but rather the issue is do we see as we should? Mary's song is a song of viewpoint. Earlier in this chapter, she receives the news from the angel Gabriel. Uh, The angel uh, appears to this betrothed virgin woman and tells her that she has found favor with God. She's afraid. She's confused. The angel clarifies for her in chapter 1, verse 35, that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel departs and she responds by going with haste 
as the text says, to, to see her relative, Elizabeth, who was also miraculously pregnant. The text doesn't say exactly how Mary was feeling as she was traveling the hill country. The text doesn't say what she was feeling when she met up with her relative. All we know is that she received a bombshell of a prophecy, and she needed to talk to somebody about it. And things come into focus for her when she meets with Elizabeth. Elizabeth rejoices. She says, blessed are you, Mary, among women. You are the mother of my Lord. And then Mary responds with this song. She responds by rejoicing and magnifying the Lord. To magnify means to focus in, to make great. And Mary is not making God bigger, but she is making her view of God bigger. She's rejoicing as she sees God for who he is. And here's what we need to understand. Our joy or our despair comes from what we magnify. Our joy or our despair comes from what we magnify. For, for some of you this morning, it was really hard to walk into the sanctuary because there's something going on in your life that is magnified. And, and even now, it's hard to really tune in and focus on my words because it is so big and so great in your life. It seems to be drowning out everything else out of focus. We know what it's like to magnify. But the question is, what or who are we magnifying? And does it give us the joy that we long for? Mary magnifies the Lord. That's how she begins this song in verse 46. And there we, we see a few things going on in her viewpoint in this passage that have given her cause to rejoice. She sees a few things. One, God is personal. She sees that God is powerful and providential. Mary rejoices because she sees that God is personal, powerful, and providential. Let's, let's look together what that might mean for us. First, she sees and rejoices that God is personal. Mary is very clear about herself, about God, and about her relation to God. She, she sees in this passage uh, that God is the Lord, verse 46. God is Savior, verse 47. God is mighty, verse 49. God is holy, verse 49 again. God is merciful, verse 50. God is powerful, 51. God is just, 52 and 53. God is faithful, verse 54 and 55. That's who God is. If that, if that alone does not get you to say hallelujah, I don't know what will. I mean, we ought to say amen that God is all these things and more. But we might not appreciate it if we don't also see who we are. Mary, she also sees herself. In verse 48, she, she sees that she is a servant of humble estate. Other translations say that she sees herself as lowly. 
Mary does not consider herself as impressive. She does not consider herself as someone to regard or to honor. But it's not just because she had low status in society, although that was very true. Uh, Mary was a poor, oppressed, insignificant, uneducated teenage and now pregnant single woman. And no one in her society would have considered her high status. That's certainly in the background. But do you notice how she talks about her humble estate? That's not in the foreground. It's not because of her station in life, but it's because of who God is. She is magnifying the Lord and she sees all these breathtaking attributes of God and she concludes, I am low in comparison to that. It's important to understand that because even if she was impressive by society standards, she still cannot outshine God. If she had seven figures in the bank, if she had the entire alphabet of credentials behind her name, if she was accomplished and had a status that can get her into rooms with dignitaries, all of that would still pale in comparison to the Lord God Almighty. But it doesn't just stop there. Mary doesn't just see the majesty and grandeur of God. She doesn't just see her low and humble status. She also sees that this mismatch is not actually a barrier to a relationship with God. It's actually the perfect match. Verse 48, he has looked upon her. Verse 49, he has done great things for her. All these attributes of God have blessed Mary. And the good news is that verse 50 lets us know that in his mercy, God has extended that to you and to me too. Generation after generation can have a personal relationship with this awesome God. But Mary lets us know that the stipulation for this is that we fear him. We reverence him. We, we let who he is bear down on us. That he would be our anchor and firm foundation who never lets us down. He's personal. He, he's not an abstract force in the universe. He's not a self-constructed manifestation. He has revealed himself and he wants to draw near to us and draw us near to him. He wants to draw near to us in the aches and the pains of life. It's the perfect match. Many of us might know that the holiday season is often called also relapse season. In this season, addiction is raised, suicide rate is raised, depression is raised, anxiety is raised, family strife is raised. In this season, particularly, people are confronted with the reality that there is something off about this world. Something is broken, and we're longing for a solution, longing for an answer. And if we're honest, we know that not a single one of us measures up to solve the problem. Whether we believe it or not, we are too low to address the problem. And for some of us, the weight of that fact is crushing. The, the weight is too much. The weight can feel lonely. But Mary helps us. She, 
she helps us. She, she is pointing to and magnifying the one who actually measures up. He is the only one that can overwhelm that which overwhelms us. And we do not have to muster up our own self-sufficiency. We do not have to try to make ourselves high and lofty. That is exhausting. Instead, he invites us to embrace our low, humble condition. Embrace our need of a savior and turn to him. It's the perfect match. He is there. Emmanuel, the Lord with us. He is personal. For 444 days, 52 U.S. diplomats were held hostage in Iran. Catherine Cobb was one of the 52 that was not sure that she would make it home when she was kidnapped in 1979. For 444 days, she struggled. For 444 days, she hoped. The Iranian students that overtook the U.S. Embassy felt political pressure to make sure to give some assurance of the hostages' safety. So they would televise them a couple times throughout this ordeal. One of the times that the terrorists uh, allowed the hostages uh, to be televised was when they were celebrating Christmas together. And the camera was rolling, and the, and the camera is, is panning the number of them and stops on Catherine. It stops on her because she began to sing a song. It was one song, one verse. A single verse from Away in a Manger that says, Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. The watching world was captivated by her hope in that moment. And for Catherine, she would later say when she was interviewed after being set free, that what kept her going one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, even 15 minutes at a time over the span of 444 days as a hostage is that she was convinced that she was not alone. God was with her. And that made all the difference for her. She knew that as helpless as she was, the Lord was with her, giving her his tender care. For those of us that know what it's like to have to live life one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, sometimes one moment at a time, the Lord is not far off from you. He is near. He is Emmanuel. And that news becomes sweeter when we settle into the reality of our low estate in a fallen, broken world. God is personal. But it doesn't just stop there. Mary sees and rejoices that God is powerful and providential. God is mighty. Verse 51 says, he has shown strength with his power. I love it. Mary says, God is flexing. But do you notice how Mary structures her song in verse 51 through 55? God is the subject. 
God has shown strength. God has scattered. God has brought down. God has exalted. God has filled. God has sent away. God has helped. God has spoken. God is the main actor in this song. Mary is magnifying his power and his providence. His power is his ability. God can do something about this world. Amen? And his providence is his intention for the world. He has purposeful actions for this world. The Westminster Larger Catechism says that the providence of God is his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creation, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. What does that mean? When you look at verse 51 through verse 55... I don't see any negotiations happening. Uh, I don't see God asking anybody for permission. I don't see him biting his nails, waiting on somebody else to step in. No, he governs and preserves as he sees fit. He has brought down the proud and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry and sent away the rich. He has helped his servant. And this declaration is far-reaching. God is providential over all of creation. He uses his purposeful power in all these ways that are being pointed out here. He will act. He will act. In governments and empires, he will act. In hearts and in souls, he will Act. All those who do not embrace their little status before the all-powerful, holy God, he will act. In other words, as Paul says, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when God says every knee, he means every knee. But I also like in Mary's song... I like her grammatical tense in these verses. Grammatical tense. Her grammatical tense. Mary does not see, uh, she does not uh, see or, or say that the Lord will show strength. She, she does not say that the Lord will do all these things. Look at the text. What does she say? She says he has done these things. She is saying it's already done. See, that's why I like preaching in black churches. They know how to say amen. They know how to holler when something gets good. He has already done it. <laughs> and some scholars, they, they, they call this prophetic past tense. They call it prophetic past tense, which is to say that, that Mary is recalling how God has toppled his enemies, how he has provided for the hungry and helped his people and has remembered his mercy and remained faithful to his covenant as he spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And prophetic past tense means that Mary is essentially saying that because we could count on God when he did it before. See, I'm getting happy already. We can count on God to keep on doing it over and over again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
And prophetic past tense said to those who fear him, to those who would magnify him, we can rejoice now because we know where it is headed. The God that has been working all along will continue to work. Mary was looking back so that she knew how to look forward. I mean, she's pregnant. Baby Jesus has not done a thing yet. But she's rejoicing because she knows what's in store. God will act again. The baby will be born and grow in stature and might, and he will stand before the people and declare, the the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mary sees it. Mary sees it, and she rejoices. And she offers this song to everyone who would behold this Savior. And so we join with King David. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord, and the humble will hear thereof and be glad. And then he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. Do you see him? I said, do you see him? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, that does not mean that we ignore everything else. To to magnify the Lord does not mean that you ignore the struggles in your family. To, To magnify the Lord does not mean you ignore the sickness in your body. To magnify the Lord does not mean that we ignore the the record number of mass shootings in our country. That we ignore the war between Israel and Hamas. To magnify the Lord does not mean that you do not feel the heaviness of sin and death. It means that that weight that you're feeling, that weight that you're beholding, that God's weight is far heavier. And we are called to live as though we know God bears more weight. As Corey Ten Boom said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Magnifying means that we know that none of this has the final say. To magnify the Lord is to see that a new and glorious morning has dawned. And in that thrill of hope, a weary world can rejoice. So, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Sing hallelujah, for the tragedies of time are no match for our God. Amen? Mary helps us to see God is personal, he's powerful and providential, which is to say he's greater. He's greater. May this Advent season challenge us to view our Savior as we should and that we would rejoice that he is who he says he is and that as we see him, we can better see this world that he has come to save. He has come. And so we should come and adore him. Let us do so to the praise of his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Everlasting God. 
It's Advent once again. We've eagerly waited for change, but it appears little has happened. Expand in us the great hope that one day we will be raised from this broken earth, changed in the blink of an eye, that everything bent and bruised, curled and corrupted in us and this world will be transformed into lasting goodness, righteousness, and truth. Help us to magnify you in that and rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.